0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast.
1: Show Me the Meaning, Dad!
0: My name is Jared, and I'm joined <laughs> here by the Show Me the Meaning crew. We got Ryan. What's
2: up, dads?
0: And back again with us is Raymond. What's up, Raymond?
2: Hey, everybody. How's it going?
0: It's going good, and today we're talking about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the 1989 yes. film directed by Stephen Herrick, starring Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves. This was part of a patreon poll you can check us out at patreon.com it was
3: my it was it was my it definitely wasn't <laughs> you liar a whole about? lot of dispute about this <laughs> i it was am... your
0: pick last time
3: yes and would it have been your pick this time i heard it would not have been my pick last time and yes honestly. it would
0: because yeah because i'm i'm picking it in preparation for the third film
3: oh yeah okay this is a joint i won i half won this okay you gotta give me this Jared I've never won a patreon poll. you always win the patreon polls
2: I don't know why I do always win the patreon
0: polls
3: as, as an
2: outside observer who can lay no claim to having picked this I uh, I gotta go with Jared on this oh, one he's fuck. he's got he's got a business to look after. people want to hear Bill and Ted we're getting ready for the third movie. Uh, you know, it's a little coincidental, but I think I think Jared's uh, 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 winning this one.
3: Jared, I'm going to give you 20 bucks to just I- I'm going to tell you my two picks next time, and then I want you to officially pick them. So okay. <laughs> okay, let me tell yeah. you
0: how the Patreon poll. Uh, fleshed out. It was number one with 38 votes, Bill and Ted, which was uh, one of the ones that I submitted. And number two, at a close call with 35 votes, it was another one that I submitted. It's Dr. Strangelove. So we almost did Dr. Strangelove today instead of Bill and Ted. Uh, In third place, one of Ryan's picks, Army of Darkness. That would have been a fun one. Uh, In fourth place, one of Raymond's picks, The Hurt Locker, with 12 votes. And in fifth place... Another one of Ryan's, Sling Blade. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. And then, it, and actually tied for last place is Roadhouse with six votes that Raymond submitted. Hold
2: on. You said you said second to last place is Ryan's pick. Then you said tied for last <laughs> Yeah, <road>. I forgot. <laughs> I, did, I, did, I didn't That's look at the, the number. That's a bit of unfair editorializing you know? <laughs> there. But I think road, Roadhouse definitely earned the spot uh, at the, uh, the end of the train. All
0: right. That's the only movie out of all these that I haven't seen is Roadhouse, which I know it's always on TV, so I don't know how I've missed it. It's fun, man. Recommend. Yeah. All right, anyway, let's get back to Bill and Ted. So tell me what it's like, what your relationship with this movie is like, and what was it like revisiting it for this podcast? Uh, Let's start with Raymond. Raymond, what do you think?
2: um this wasn't a revisit so much as just a visit i had only seen this movie in bits and pieces as a kid uh whoa it was was another one of those movies that was constantly on cable like roadhouse where you you saw vignettes and stuff like that this is the first time i watched it cover to cover and i'm kind of interested to hear y'all's thoughts on this because i thought it was terrible i didn't like it at all You don't have you don't have the nostalgia man I think that may be it. I don't have a connection to the characters because I, what I will say about it is I I think this would be a pitch perfect slumber party movie. Like this is the kind of movie you watch with your friends and you spend the next 10 years knowing each other, quoting this. And, and like, I I imagine there are a lot of folks who have really fond memories surrounding this, but there are also a lot of folks who I think are finding it for the first time and still really enjoying it. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear uh, what y'all have to say about it because I'm I I feel like maybe there's something I'm missing. You know, I don't want to be unfair about it, but I I definitely have a lot of thoughts.
0: I'll go ahead and admit that I don't think it's a terribly complex movie. I don't have anything too hair raising to the- say about it, but maybe Ryan does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, what about you?
3: So I um I love the shit out of this movie. I watch, I watched it at slumber parties, and I had it on a VHS that I wore the hell out when I was growing up. Uh, you know, it was basically like my growing up movie VHS collection was was the Bill and Ted, both the Bill and Ted's, the both the Problem Childs, and all the Earnest movies, and that's just what I watched. And so I kind of it was very interesting uh, watching. I hadn't watched it in a long time, at least over a decade, or mo- if not way longer. And it is interesting, Raymond, because I I as a big fan, as a Bill and Ted apologist, I'm not going to give you a lot of shit for not loving this movie because. I was kind of. It was kind of coming back to me that a lot of my favorite Bill and Ted moments are from the Bogus Journey and not as mm. much from the Excellent Adventure. So I think I watched the Bogus
2: you, Journey right afterwards too. Sorry, it, go on.
3: Well, I was gonna say you should watch Bogus Journey, and I would love to hear what you said. So I, uh, I'm excited to hear your review of that because I do think that the the whole like playing Twister and b- Battleship with the uh, Grim Reapers that iconic you know sequence and stuff that is one of the best. And and, and, and and him, um, Bill and Ted you know r- r- uh, yanking their rubber fucking flesh off in bogus yeah, journey is also w- will st- will stick with me for my whole mo- life. So I do think that there's lots of gnarly shit in that movie that I that in my mind is kind of just all melded together into all just being Bill and Ted, quote unquote. So this movie is definitely a lower budget version than the second one. And, um, yeah, I can see that there was definitely parts that was kind of did don't hold up. Don't really, I don't think age well or kind of, it is kind of low budget in some scenes, kind of awkward in some scenes, but all the, just every classic line that would happen. I would just get right back into forgetting, you know, anything I didn't like. You know, uh, what, what number are we thinking of? 69? Whoa. Like, just, it has the moment these stupid, like, re- profoundly stupid moments that uh, I think still hold up. And and the, the, the one big thing that uh, I kind of caught on this time was just how eloquent they actually speak for being these stoned, stoned, out, stoned out, like, like Venice life. Uh, uh, life. Valley dudes or whatever the fuck the stereotype is. Like they actually, the, the the script itself is probably, you know, is very well written and uh, very elegant sometimes. They just, it's just the way they deliver it. And um, that's kind of what I picked up on a lot. Jared, what did you think about this movie?
0: Well, I definitely have the hardcore nostalgia for this movie. I yeah, saw too. it for the first time when I was maybe in first or second grade, and I'd only seen The Excellent Adventure. And then it wasn't until high school that I think I was even aware that there was a sequel. I don't know how it just completely eluded me. But I loved this movie when I saw it as a kid, and I've seen it so many times. It's just so wholesome. There's something about the movie that it takes this very uncritical view of history. These two characters are just really lovable. And, and you know, I, I would say I probably maybe belly laughed the first time I watched it, and I kind of more just find myself with a warm smile over my face as I watch the movie in all in subsequent viewings. I gotta be honest, I probably watched it because, like, I watched it last year because somebody at a wedding like right after their vows said be excellent to each other. And and then like six people from the wedding company said party on dudes. <laughs> and uh, my girlfriend at the time didn't understand that. So we had to watch Bill and Ted. And I'm not really gleaning anything new from these subsequent viewings. But it is still it's a a cool 90 minutes. It's tight. It moves quickly. It's just that it's kind of the quintessential comfort viewing for me.
2: I can see that. I I, I can see it being like the perfect thing to just put on when you've got some time to kill or if you're folding laundry or, you know, cleaning or whatever. It seems like a phenomenon. I've always said that the quintessential background movie is footloose because Mm. it's like, 60% 60% music anyway and there's not a whole lot else you have to pay attention to yeah. And I kind of get the same vibes from this where you can kind of tune in every once in a while oh this is a pretty funny sequence and oh this mm. one has some uh, some interesting panache oh here's a sword fight you know um I I can definitely see it uh being at least relatively inoffensive background viewing it seems like uh if you have those feelings associated with it
0: yeah, it, it almost feels like a bit of a road movie to me. I mean, there is no road in this movie True. per se, but in a... Time is the road, ro- man. Time is the road. <laughs> the circuits of history are the road, man. Uh, but yeah, exactly. So in a road movie, you go from location to location, and there's something very watchable about having your environment shift as the movie continues, and we have that except through history in this movie, and it just makes it really rewatchable. And... Um, And it's just, I don't know, like be excellent to each other and party on dudes is just one of the most wholesome, agreeable philosophies that you'll find in kind of 80s kids movies.
3: It's definitely good vibes all around. Yeah. And and, and I would say 90% credit to the performances of our two leads, man. Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves just, can you imagine any other people being Bill and Ted? I cannot. You know, they will be a pale imitation. No. No, uh, I think they, they are you know, Bill and Ted. so
2: much of this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm
0: almost tempted to say this is and and I don't want this to come off as insulting, but I almost think this is one of Keanu Reeves's best performances. He's just <laughs> yes. so
3: good yeah. as Ted. Agree. I can't think of a, a better one, honestly. <laughs> Give me <laughs> another one. Give me a better one. I guess. I mean, I mean, Matrix. He just is like just stone faced. I guess a lot of his movies he's kind of expressionless. You know, John Wick, whatever. I think he's uh, yeah. He's he certainly gets dinged a lot for um, not
2: being uh, or not having uh, an incredible range. But I do think he's a, a phenomenal action star. Um, I, I don't think he's painting with a very broad emotional palette in stuff like uh, I don't know, The Matrix or John Wick. But I, I think like Johnny Utah in Point Break is uh, a really really good, a good Keanu one. Reeves role. Um, and I think he's really good in speed. You know, it puts that sort of uh, the Keanu charm to the test, and he—I uh, I think he's a great star in that movie. He he really holds that whole movie together. But I, I like Keanu Reeves a lot. Not once again, I I understand the uh, uh, the knocks against his performance and a lot of stuff, but he's. I think he's really good at what he does. He he may not be a great actor, but he's a great movie star, and he definitely brings that that charm and that energy to this movie.
3: There is a lot of range in that montage of him saying "woe" in every movie. I'm gonna say you can feel every "woe" is different, and yeah, he's a good actor. Yeah, he pulls that off. He was the Groot of his generation. <laughs> yeah, for real.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna go into a recap. Alright, so aspiring rockers Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan are at risk of flunking history class if they don't absolutely nail their final report. Even worse, if they fail, Ted will be sent to military school in Alaska, dooming Bill and Ted's plans for their band Wild Stallions. The night before their report is due, Bill and Ted are visited by a man in the time-traveling phone booth named Rufus, who hails from an advanced future utopia founded on the music of Wild Stallions that reveres Bill and Ted as the two great ones. In order to preserve their perfect civilization, Rufus will have to help them with their history report, ensuring that Wild Stallions doesn't break up. So, using the phone booth, Bill and Ted travel through time collecting historical figures for their report. Among them are Napoleon, Genghis Khan, Joan of Arc, Sigmund Freud, Ludwig van beethoven billy the kid socrates and two excellent babes from medieval england after all the historical figures have been collected, Bill and Ted bring them to the mall to allow them to form an opinion of Sandemus. But while Bill and Ted are collecting Napoleon at the Waterloo Water Park, the historical figures run amok in the mall and land in jail, where Bill and Ted have to use their time-traveling savvy to break them out. With only minutes remaining before their report is due, Bill and Ted arrive with the historical figures and give Sandemus High the most excellent history report the school has ever seen. And with wild stallions saved, Rufus delivers the medieval English babes to Bill and Ted, and they all jam together, end of movie.
3: So excellent.
0: <laughs> Alright guys, before we continue, I want to give a shout out to this week's sponsor, Storyblocks. Storyblocks is an unlimited library of high-quality, royalty-free video, audio, and images that can be accessed through a subscription. If you're a creator, you know how difficult it can be searching the web for a specific image or clip that might end up costing thousands of dollars. With Storyblocks, you have millions of assets right at your fingertips at a cost-effective price. With a subscription, you get an unlimited number of downloads and everything you download is yours to keep, even when your subscription runs out. Storyblocks is great because there are different plans depending on your specific needs as a creator. Say you manage different podcasts or streams, you can get royalty-free audio through a standalone subscription. With Unlimited, you can get access to everything Storyblocks has to offer, including templates for Adobe projects and more. They are constantly adding to the library and there is no additional fee to use what is new. Learn more by going to storyblocks.com slash wisecrack today. And now back to the show. So I'm curious, um, was there anything that you particularly didn't like Raymond or was it just kind of, um, overall meh
2: experience? Um, no, I, I would say there are pretty specific things that, I don't know, stuck in my craw about it. Uh, where to start I I think it was um I think it was George Clooney who said that uh he can make a a bad movie out of a good script but he can't make a good movie out of a bad script and while I don't really think of George Clooney as as a director (laughs) first I think that that holds true for a lot of folks that that I just don't think it's a very good script it just I I know that these characters started as improv characters that that Chris Matheson and, and Ed Solomon would do and They talked about at the uh, remote Comic Con this year during their panel for uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music, how this originally started as like an 8 to 10 minute sketch that was just going to be in a a Kentucky Fried movie type feature. And I think that that maybe is the best format for this kind of premise that just, I, I think there's you know, five real minutes of meat on the bone here, and then it's like, (gasps) Napoleon going down water slides for ten minutes, (laughs) and Joan of Arc doing aerobics, and then they pretend they're in Star Wars while they're wearing suits of art. Like, some of the vignettes are charming, and they're funny on their own, but I could see this being like a recurring sketch on Mad TV or SNL or something, where you can just drop in for five minutes of it every once in a while, and it doesn't really get old, or at least for me, it just kind of it, it wore out its welcome pretty quickly. And, and it also just feels so, I, I guess the best way to put it is like, uh, or maybe this isn't the best way to put it, but it, it feels like an, a, a precocious eight-year-old telling you about a dream like <laughs> okay. that. They're, they're just like, oh, we, oh I, I found a time machine and it was a phone booth, but we could travel through time in it. And then we met a, a cowboy, and then we met Napoleon, and then he went down a water slide, and then we met a lady knight, and she did aerobics, and then we went to my school, and I had to give a presentation, and I was scared, so my dad put me in jail. And <laughs> that eight-year-old like,
3: sounds like a genius. I mean,
2: yeah, I mean, it certainly is indicative of a, a certain capacity for abstract thought, but I, at the end, I'm just like, where are you going with this kid? Come now,
3: on. <laughs> like... Now, fair enough, Raymond, but moving to the Bogus Journey, which I thought was the more concise version, you know, is actually kind of telling more of a story as opposed to just the vignette, going through time and, you know, the vignettes, like, uh, uh, what did you think about, you said you saw Bogus Journey, but you didn't like it?
2: I watched Bogus Journey, I wasn't crazy about it, but I think that one maybe had a little bit more of a plot to hang itself on, Um, I, I still... It still suffers from the same. Uh, I don't know. For me, at least, it suffers from the same. Just kind of, it's it, every five minutes they they do an air guitar break, and by the fifteenth <laughs> one of those, I'm just like pulling my hair out. Everyone is good. There, there's still the same semblance of like when when they're running around in uh, in hell. They they open this door and here's this vignette and then they open that door and here's this vignette. So yeah, there is the hell still section. A similar type of energy, but I think I think both of them are fun. They both have moments of inspiration, certainly, and I think they're both really well accomplished. Certainly behind uh, behind the camera, I think they're they're both well made. Uh, they're both well lensed, um, and there's some really good. Uh, art direction and production design throughout both of them I, I, I mean there's there's certainly a lot to like they're fun to look at um, but for me it just I, I guess the big thing for me with the first one especially is I just don't I, I don't think there are any real stakes you know with the and it's also the type of story that I'm not crazy about which is someone shows up and tells an unremarkable person that they're actually a hero and then the universe justifies that claim rather than the the main character having to really earn it in any way and and I just I think that's kind of where this script lands it's just they someone shows up and tells them exactly what's going to happen and then they set forth on a totally predetermined journey and I'm never I'm never concerned that they're going to die there's never there, the stakes never feel real or immediate to me because you know this opens the door to the conversation about time travel that I'm sure will at least want to explore a little bit but there's the the whole grandfather paradox that you know if if someone comes back from the future to tell them that they have to do this thing in order to get to the future that that person came from then they're guaranteed to accomplish those things to make it into that future so it, it it's just it's tough for me to really become invested in in the the stakes or the immediacy or the urgency of their journey although the one one of the two times I laughed during this movie was when Keanu Reeves, exactly two, when Keanu <laughs> Reeves tells, tells Alex Winner that he fell out of his suit of armor when he hit the floor.
0: Oh, yeah, and it's yeah. Just,
2: it's that sort of thing where, like, okay, I, if that's the energy, if this is just a live-action cartoon, that's, you know, it's great. It knows what it is, and that really made me laugh. I like the absurdity of it. But it's very, very difficult for me to get invested in the, the, the real human stakes of their of their problem if that's the kind of uh, logic that they're going to bring to the movie overall. You didn't find I, Bill
3: and Ted's Excellent Adventure to be one of the most telling, pressing tales about uh, metaphors for determinism in our time, uh, in the twenty first century. Free will, determinism, time travel, all of that. I mean, shit. This there's, this movie is deep as fuck, man so much to talk about jared but t- t- show him the meaning well I can't look even, it's I- i'll too much say that for me to even talk about
0: yeah i mean I, this isn't exactly commenting on what kind of meaning that there may be in the movie i i think that if you're looking in that direction you're probably looking in the wrong direction but i will say to alex winter and keanu reeves's credit and to raymond's point the script is not big on heightened stakes but i think that that once again, to, Ale- to Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves's credit, all that really is at stake is the bromance. The only thing that's really at risk is that they kind of break up, and I think that their chemistry on screen really work- does work so well that um, you're really on this adventure for basically a fun ride for what is a pretty short-feeling 90 minutes in my opinion.
2: Um, yeah, and I, I agree with that, and there are plenty of buddy movies where you know, it's not like I watch a uh... I don't know, something like uh, Superbad or Booksmart or anything like that. And uh, I'm never worried that those characters are going to die. Like, I I know that this is about their relationship. And I, once again, I can't say enough good stuff about them. I think that the film is watchable at all is a testament to their, their charm and their affability and their chemistry on screen together. But I guess the thing is, though, is that they, they don't ever really, unless I'm mistaken and I'm overlooking something, I don't feel as though they ever really present serious emotional stakes between the two of them. You never feel like they could come to a point where they would be anything but attached at the hip, like these guys. they I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was never that that scene, or there's never... If if, if the movie had that emotional journey where they feel themselves growing apart because of this conflict and everything that they're up against, and but it just never it never really feels like their their friendship is even at risk. And I think that that could have been enough for me to really engage with, uh, with the stakes on an emotional level. The closest we
0: get is, of course, Keanu Reeves' despondency when he finds out that his father already called the major and is going to send him to military school. And, um, you know, the one thing I'll say, and, and I, I keep on going back to this word endearing, and the th- one of the things I like about this movie is you know, it's very much kind of like a rock and roll movie, but it's not a rock and roll movie of the 60s and the 70s. It's kind of like your post-hippie era rock and roll movie. And kind of in our new Reagan Bush era, people still cling to rock and roll. The people that we see largely like in Fast Times at Ridgemont High and like all the teen era movies at this time, people who still clung to rock and roll as a lifestyle were kind of seen as burnouts. And it's nice to see a movie that, kind of comically rehabilitates the image of the 80s rocker and suggests that they could fulfill the hippie fantasy of the 60s and 70s of using music to heal all of society's ills. And, of course, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what the third movie does with this, drawing that line between these two seemingly stoners and these saviors of a utopia is almost a ridiculous line to draw, and I think that's part of what makes the film so silly, but also so positive and so wholesome and it, it kind of draws I don't know it draws an image of Sandinus a world that we would kind of want to live in
3: it, yeah I, I, I agree and, and, and on top of that like uh, to counter your point Raymond earlier about um, you know you don't really like it when somebody comes in and says all right some average Joe like all right you're going to be a hero and then they do I, I kind of like to uh, that they take this you know innocuous thing like oh writing a shitty uh, rock and roll song and then and then they they blow that up to go no this is the most significant significant thing in the universe and it is kind of tongue in cheek obviously that are they saying it really is like no but it is kind of just shining a light that like all right you. In your shitty band, in your shitty garage, with your stupid friends, like, like, are you, you know, is is that, are you doing something with your life? Like, the outward appearance would be, oh, no, these are burnouts, like you're saying, they're idiots. But I like the idea of flipping that and be like, no, the, these are the most important figures in all of <laughs> fucking history. Okay, and you, and it's very important that they uh, pass their history test. Um, there's just something yeah. fun about that. I, I, I don't know, yeah, is it profound? You know, is it real life? No, but like, I don't know. That's what movies are for, in my opinion, you know, is fun, oh, sure. fun stuff like that.
2: And and I think that this movie is tongue in cheek enough that it's not necessarily, you know, like propagating that story cliche. It's not really pushing that or advocating that story cliche so much as sending it up a little bit. But it's still one of those things that just it, it keeps the movie at arm's length for me, because at the end of the day, like I said, they're their entire journey is essentially predetermined, you know, Rufus and even future versions of themselves step out of the phone booth and explain to them how things are going to happen. And then we watch how those things happen. And I, I mean, it's, and that's what happened <laughs> there's never it's I have this weird thing like um
0: I mean it is an excellent adventure so even before it, we pop yeah, sure. even before we pop the DVD in we know <laughs> it's going to be smooth sailing <laughs> it's,
2: it, yes it's truth in advertising you get what's on the front of the box um but I, I guess this this happens to me too and it maybe is my problem as a viewer that I, the, the first example I can think of is when I went went and saw the uh, the solo the star wars prequel
3: Mm. yeah Um, that sucked
2: yeah i wasn't a fan of the movie as it was but there was still even if i was even if it was the best possible version of a han solo prequel i've still seen han solo doing his thing in four or five other movies that chronologically take place after this movie so there's no point at which i'm afraid that you know the, the space pirates are going to murder him or whatever. It's, so maybe it's just me and my own issues with suspension of disbelief that I can't gear into a moment unless I, unless I believe that there is some real urgent kind of stakes at play. And, and I know that that's not really this movie's game, so it's probably unfair to knock it for that, but it still just kind of keeps me from engaging.
0: All right, guys, before we move on, I want to uh, shout out to our sponsors over at Skillshare. So it's been six months and we're still all stuck inside. One thing you can do to keep your mind limber and keep yourself from going insane is to learn some new skills. So that's where Skillshare comes in. If you're looking to explore new skills or get inspired or deepen your existing passions, Skillshare is an online learning community where you can explore and discover thousands of classes on a wide variety of topics like graphic design, productivity, creative writing, film and video, freelancing, and more. And I wanna emphasize the community aspect because during quarantine, finding a group of people online who share the same interests of you can be really rewarding because meeting people in real life is really hard right now. Uh, if you're looking for a class to take, in the past I've recommended iPhone Filmmaking, creative Creating Cinematic Video on Your Phone, Creative Nonfiction, Write Truthless Style with Susan Orlean, and Everyday Minimalism, Find Common Creativity with Simple Living by Aaron Boyle. But today I want to plug a new class, Filmmaking from Home, How to Turn Found Footage into a Compelling Video, taught by Penny Lane. Penny is a nonfiction filmmaker. Her most recent doc was Hail Satan, which I know I've seen on a couple of streaming services. She'll teach you how to take found footage and edit it into something compelling. When you can compare Skillshare to other expensive in-person workshops or night classes including online ones Skillshare is really affordable an annual subscription is less than 10 bucks a month and right now they're offering show me the meeting listeners two free months all you got to do is go to skillshare.com wisecrack again that's skillshare.com wisecrack for two free months of unlimited access to awesome classes and now back to the show I got a question for you guys, and this is based on what uh, something that Ryan said at the beginning. Uh, is this a stoner
3: movie? It's well, it, it, it might the, help. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, yes that, and by no. That, by that I
0: mean uh, not necessarily like is it fun to watch while stoned. By that I mean, are we supposed to believe that Bill and Ted are stoners? And let me give you a little context to this because there was like a time in the 80s and 90s where I would see movies that I like let's say Billy Madison for example at the beginning when he's hallucinating a penguin and his dad is telling him that he got too much sun I always assume that like okay that they're they're basically just Billy Madison is a stoner and they basically just took the weed reference out to make it PG or PG thirteen, yeah, less whatever, transgressive, whatever yeah. to make it less transgressive. Are we supposed to think something similar for this movie?
3: That's kind of what I was about to say. Was that it's it's like they're essentially giving us all the information uh, uh, to deduce that they are stoners without ever referencing it at all. But I guess just supposed you're supposed to get the stereotype. But it also work completely works if you don't. Uh, Get that or know about that? I mean, I, I love this as a this movie as a kid. I didn't know about fucking weed, you know. <laughs> did, did, did it hurt my enjoyment of the movie? No, but I guess I could have watched Cheech and Chong when I was five and probably not really got it either. Um, what are you gonna say?
2: Raven? Yeah, I, I think. Oh well, no, I was just gonna say I don't I, I don't think it uh, it doesn't add or subtract anything from the movie if they are or aren't. <laughs> so, like you know, it, it, it's uh, have you it, you know the movie Pretty Woman? With Julia Roberts? Yes. I know
0: of it. I've actually never seen it. Oh, dude. You've never seen Kerry it?
2: Marshall. So yeah. if, you, if you ever check it out, really pay attention to Julia Roberts' performance because there are a lot of scenes where she is just completely manic and off the wall. And that's because when they shot the movie, the character was a coke addict. And then they cut all the scenes of her doing coke and all the references to coke out of the movie. And then it just kind of codified her as like, one of the progenitors of the manic pixie dream girl because her her coke behavior is still in the movie but none of the actual cocaine is in it so it it, it does it, it does kind of feel similar to that where you could you could watch this movie and and say, oh, there's a, a director's cut with 10 extra minutes. Let's pop that in. It's literally just 10 minutes of them stopping to smoke weed every time. Well, because oh, this explains a there's lot. <laughs> also the, I, I might
0: be looking too much into this, but there's also the shot when at the very beginning they're jamming and they overblow all of their uh, speakers and then they open the garage and there's just this billowing smoke coming out of the garage with them coughing and it was only at this viewing did i say like am i supposed to be like is there a double meaning to this like not that the characters are actually smoking weed but did the filmmakers kind of codify the image of two burnouts sm- coughing as smoke billows out of their garage yes is if that's supposed to be some sort of like i don't know pg safe stoner nod i think it yeah, was on I could purpose definitely
2: see sure. that.
3: interesting do, do, so, do, 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 on that note, do you think, like, uh, uh, because I guess we're really getting into a, what is a stoner movie? Is it just about weed or does it feature stoners? You know, because I guess, you know, Half Baked is like they're smoking a lot of weed in it. It's about half, it's about weed. But I don't know, it's like Beavis and Butthead do America. Is that a stoner movie?
0: Oh, Beavis and Butthead is a good example. Um, because there are another other ones which I don't really know if we're supposed to think of them as stone. Well, right. actually, I think they're just stupid.
3: Well, exactly. Is, <laughs> but but are, are is there this moment in the early 90s, late 80s where that archetype of just two laughing idiots, I mean, you're supposed to be kind of be like, all right, they're doing a lot of drugs. You know, that's kind of supposed to be the wink and the nod. Like, these people are idiots for a reason. They weren't just born that way. Is uh, I don't well, know. Or am I reading too much into it?
2: Then there are also a lot of movies, movies that I particularly love. Uh, some of my favorite comedies are just about people who are weird and there's no... Ex- like, no one knows why Navin R. Johnson in The Jerk is just is Good. off, but he's one. just off. Yeah. There's no explanation. Or in Dumb and Dumber, they never explain what particular brain damage Harry and Lloyd have. <laughs> They're just idiots. And I, I, I really love that type of movie where it's, it, you know, there are some folks who... Uh, with with certain types of movies like that may think it's it may read it as uh, uh, the characters as ableist or things like that, but they never hang a diagnosis on any of those people. Like, Naven R. Johnson is just a fucking weirdo. I, I think <laughs> Dumb and Dumber is actually
3: the most interesting example because ba- we got Dumb and Dumber, Beavis and Butthead, and Bill and Ted. What is the difference between those two? It's basically... The uh, or those three, it's I think it really is just the accent, the valley. It's something that comes with the valley girl and guy accent just the stunner or surfer dude, skateboarding thing like this. You just assume that they smoke pot. And then Dumb and Dumber, they're just so stupid and so and they and they talk. They don't talk like that basically. So you don't really maybe put that connection there. But Beavis and Bedhead, they they also have their own kind of druggy thing going on. It seems. I don't know. What do you guys think well, about that?
2: Those those are also just... I mean, Beavis and Butthead are just really weird characters. Yeah. Like, I don't think you can say, oh, Beavis has a uh, a, a valley
3: dialect or something. You know, that's... But it, they're... I, I think... So... I don't know. It's something that they're... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm and, saying. And pop culture
2: has... Pop culture has a way of really compressing character types and personality traits and things. It's why... I think so many, uh, for example, so many folks from the American South are really resentful towards certain depictions in popular culture because uh, in a lot of instances, uh, filmmakers or writers or actors codify the Southern dialect as just being really stupid and they're always, you know, hillbillies and stuff like that. Well, no, they're, they're normal people who come from this region who just have a regionally specific dialect, and it's really unfair that every single person who talks like that sounds like a hillbilly. Um, so I, the Valley Girl thing is similar, where, oh, it instantly, as soon as these characters open their mouths and they they have this, this speech pattern, this rhythm or this dialect, it, it it's coded as something, or usually or typically, rather, it's ditzy or uh, airy or airheaded or however you want to define it.
3: Yeah, the the, the Southern thing actually really interesting because, I, I I mean, I'm from Tennessee, and so I kind of, I, I definitely, you'll see Southern really over-the-top hit characters, redneck characters, and you're just kind of like, look, nobody acts like that, but then you'll see, but, but then I, I think that the South pretty much has accepted, like Talladega Nights is a great example of, they are totally making fun of, of, of southerners and stuff but it's done in such a funny and cartoonish way and smart way too that that it works i guess and people are like down with the joke they don't care that they're getting made fun of in that way because uh uh i guess maybe it's the writing performances kind of i don't know but but it's it's funny how how you can see kind of basically the similar archetypes but then one doesn't one works for you and the other sucks
0: well, I think that you can see that in Bill and Ted, too, because their burnout dumb or I don't even know what you would call the subculture that they belong to, I guess just rocker culture, is so exacerbated that I don't think anybody goes into the movie feeling like their subculture has been attacked. But
3: it's a very cheap joke that could be easily not, like, it could, with two other actors, you could go, all right, this is so lame, you know, but it's just somehow the way they do it, their performances are like, this is awesome, I believe these people that that are are like this, you know.
0: Yeah. One of the questions about this film that I've been pondering is like, why has this film lasted so long in our cultural subconscious? And not just because the third movie is coming out, but I remember walking through Austin, Texas during college and seeing graffiti of Bill and Ted, and it just says, be excellent to each other. And, um... You know, to Raymond's point about—and I've been thinking about this as we've been talking—to Raymond's point about there not being a lot of stakes, even between their friendship, other than the fact that they've been separated, but uh, their bond is never really put to trial, I think that maybe that's even one of the reasons why the film has lasted. And I use the word wholesome to describe describe this movie, but there's something so rigid and uncompromising and pure about their friendship, and um, that— in a sense, like that lack of conflict between them almost gives it this, they're kind of like this paradigm of, um, you know, no matter how stupid they may sound, they have hearts of gold, they stick up for each other, and I feel like I kind of lost my train of thought here.
2: No, I get what you're saying. I I think it's definitely something that, uh, well, like, we were saying before that this is this is one of those movies that you want to watch with your friends because you're going to quote the lines together and it, this is uh i'm sure growing up as film fans we all had that experience of being the only kid who had seen xy or z movie and wanting so badly to share it with someone so that we could have someone to talk about with it. and uh friendship goals I, I, the movie yeah yeah <laughs> i want to <laughs> be like <laughs> bill yeah, and that ted might be it. Yeah, everyone, everyone wants a, a, a Bill or a Ted in their life. You know, everyone, uh, I think, either cherishes the relationships in their lives that they have that are like this, where they, they can always rely on somebody, or maybe they, they envy the friendship they see on the screen. So in that way, I can see how it's uh, maybe aspirational. And certainly the message that they share, be excellent to each other. I, I have no objections to that. Uh,
3: you, you know what? Uh, another little detail that I think actually contributed to its long-lastingness is the title, the title of this movie, is has become like a cliche in and of itself. You know, it's like something, something's excellent adventure, bogus journey, whatever. Like, just that is a, such a unique title for a movie. You know that I, that I think that that stuck. And um, and also to to piggyback on what we were saying a second ago, people in the chat are reminding me about slackers. That's another. I think really that's the archetype people are talking about. It's you know, slackers is not necessarily a. Drug thing, you can just be like unmotivated and you're a slacker. You know, there's that R- Richard Linklater film of just a whole bunch of different kinds of people that are all just slacking around all day. And I th- and th- and that was at the same time that this movie came out. So, um, and I guess no one really talks about slackers now, but I guess the the archetype lives on in other ways. You got your Seth Rogens and whatever.
0: Yeah, we don't have slackers anymore. We only have hustlers, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anything else you guys want to bring up about this movie before we go into the mailbag?
3: Um, I, I, uh, what, what do you guys think about what we've seen so far on face? The music, the third one, do you think it's going to be good? Which, and how, how do you think the story's going to go? I have a feeling if there's going to be a lot of callbacks
0: to the first and second movie. I mean, you see that even with death, he's playing, uh, games by himself, uh, I imagine that it's going to have both time travel and going to, you know, the afterlife or to hell or something like that. I think they're going to be reliving a lot of The Excellent Adventure and The Bogus Journey. Um, As much as I wish that there was some sort of, like, third thing they do, like, part one, time travel, part two, the afterlife, and, you know, all things divine... And then the third one, they do something else, like maybe like hyper reality or something. But I don't think that's what it's going to be. I think it's going to be Jupiter
2: and Beyond. Well, it's it's yeah, their, exactly. their
3: kids are is really the third the third development. You know, that Father, they have, fatherhood right. is the that final have, frontier. Yeah, that they have two right. kids. Th- that's honestly my one thing that I'm kind of really like cringing. Like I hope that they don't fuck that part up because, like we were saying before, you can't replace Bill and Ted and to have basically their daughters essentially b- acting like Bill and Ted. Like, I hope that it just isn't them trying to do Bill and Ted impressions the whole time. I hope that they're actually fleshed out characters in, of their own right. And it's just not people going, oh, that's funny. They're acting like Bill and Ted, huh? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah.
0: The other thing I'll say is that I feel like Alex Winter's voice sounds relatively the same. But, man, Keanu Reeves' voice has dropped like six octaves yeah. since 1988. Uh, and they look old Since fuck. 1988. Yeah. Like, their faces. I think it's because Keanu Reeves has been chained smoking cigarettes for... 30 years. And
3: shooting bad guys in the head for the last 10.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's
2: seen some shit at this yeah. point, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I have one more thing to say, and this is not about the movie exactly, but a little bit of background on the movie, if you'll permit me. Yeah, right? please. Um, so I think, Ryan, you said earlier on, uh, on in your, um, your initial thoughts that there are some aspects of it that maybe haven't aged very well. Um, I don't know if you guys know anything about the original outline or first draft of this movie. No. But it would have aged exceptionally unwell. <laughs> if they were in a van. They, had right? gone. they a were in was. a van. Uh, but what's more is they brought back Hitler instead of Napoleon. Ah. And they were all buddy buddy with him. Okay. And then they, it, rather than just darting around and kidnapping folks, they didn't they kill him as res- a baby? No, they didn't. They were inadvertently responsible for a bunch of tragedies throughout history, like they caused the Titanic to sink, and they caused oh, the Jesus. Hindenburg to explode. Like the Forrest Gump of history? And, yeah, and they absolut- they accidentally murdered Julius Caesar. Um, and I just, I, speaking of Forrest Gump, it reminded me of Forrest Gump 2. Have you ever heard about that? Uh, I I heard that it's like, uh, yeah, that it's infamous. That's all so Forrest Gump 2 was initially greenlit on September 10th, 2001, and, <laughs> and that's when Eric Roth turned in his script for it, and it never got made for obvious reasons, like the world turned upside down the next day, but a lot of folks have said that, and I think Eric Roth uh, even said something to the effect of, we, we couldn't make a movie that trivialized history when we were living through history in that moment. But the script that, or I haven't read the script of Forrest Gump, too, but it's based on the book Gump and Company. And I've heard that the script has him in the back of OJ's Bronco during the low speed chase. (laughs) And he dances with Princess Diana at one point, and he's involved in the Oklahoma City bombing. And and then you just realize, like, oh, they couldn't make this movie after nine eleven because Forrest Gump would have had to be involved in nine eleven. <laughs> like, he would have been fucking chasing Muhammad Atta down in a in an airport. Like, you forgot your box up. Like, just, <laughs> just immediately, you're like, God damn! How did this ever even? I, it, and that's the the thing at the the center of the. And now I'm just talking about Forrest Gump, but it, it feels that way a little bit considering the the provenance of uh, of this movie, where it's just. It's kind of like, yeah. I, I mean, this this movie as it is is relatively harmless fun, but I, I don't know. Napoleon also wasn't a great guy to hang out with. <laughs> so I'm just so grateful, and I think the the makers of the film now that they're on their uh, their third installment are pretty uh, thankful that they didn't go the Hitler route uh, back in uh, 1989.
3: Yeah, they went with a more the better commercial route. Good for them. Yeah, right. I'm glad we got what we got.
1: This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free.
0: All right, guys, well, we're going to head into the mailbag. Uh, you can hit us up send us a voicemail the number is 213-534-8807 we're going to hear one from jacob
1: evening, Crew, jacob calling again in regards to your total recall podcast podcast i really enjoyed the film it's one of my favorite paul verhoeven movies and in that matter i did a paul verhoeven marathon of watching all of his movies, from starship troopers total recall showgirls and some of his dutch films so you know he's a really good director and i think you guys were scratching on the surface of something he likes to talk about America is our struggle of the class system in a way, where in his film, Robocop, we see that it's the corporate world, and to recall, it's mostly the corporate world controlling the downtrodden and downtrodden trying to be, become powerful. In Starship Troopers, we see the, the weak and downtrodden become powerful but then they create a whole hierarchy and other class system on top of each other. So it's the people in power who are trying to protect themselves by sending in the grand to fight aliens. So I just want to know what you guys think about like Paul Verhoeven, how he has to say about the American class system and just in general, the, the class system. I know that's going to be a large debate, especially in the current political climate. So hey, you guys be safe and yeah, you guys have a nice day.
0: Well, um i'm trying to remember i mean it's hard to make uh move i mean we've been talking about how paul verhoban's very critical of you know things that are uniquely american one of you know mostly sex and violence and our obsession with that and i would say that yeah i mean his critique of corporatism definitely comes through in robocop um same thing we talked about a little bit I know Austin was talking about in Total Recall with uh, how when Mars is is colonized it's basically everything is monopolized even people's air Um, so that's definitely present Showgirls, well I mean definitely the the commerce that is focused on in Showgirls is the fact that she has to sell her body uh, just in order to make ends meet so I guess you could say there's an implicit class critique there um, but yeah, I mean, I think that you make movies that take place in America and that are critical of America, inequality is going to shine through.
3: I, I was just going to add kind of, like I said, in the podcast, when they happen that I, I feel like he does just kind of, sh- I, I wouldn't even call it a critique sometimes. I mean, he just is showing you kind of an ex- a, an exaggerated Paul Verhoeven ish version of life, but it's exaggerated a little bit. And I, yeah, sometimes I don't think that he's necessarily saying, one one thing or another about it. It's just like he's showing you the reality, and that's just kind of how he makes his movies.
0: Well, he's uh, hyperbolizing the reality,
3: right? Yeah, for effect.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I I think it was well established on the Total Recall episode that I'm a huge Paul Verhoeven fan. Um, I, I have tons of thoughts on on this stuff that we actually discussed a couple weeks ago. And um, you know, thanks for your call. Uh, obviously, you're you're uh, engaging with the, the movies critically, and, and uh, that's, I think, a big part of the show is just encouraging folks to check out these movies and uh, apply a critical eye to them and engage with what the filmmaker is really trying to say beneath all the, uh, the noise and the, the blockbuster frou-frou. So I, I love Paul Verhoeven's uh, class and imperialism and inequality are always at the forefront of his mind, considering his background. And, and you see that as a direct line through pretty much all of his work, in, including the work uh, that he did in the Netherlands, you know. Um, so I, uh, yeah, if if you uh, are still sleeping on the Paul Verhoeven episodes or haven't given his uh, his filmography a shot, absolutely take a look into it and, and look out for that stuff.
0: Yeah, as someone who is not very familiar with his work or at least intimately familiar with it, it was uh, an amazing, revisit um, alright uh, let's go into some emails because we uh, we actually skipped the emails last week so we've got one a couple about uh, Paul Verhoeven we've got some about 2001 I'm going to start one i'm gonna shame ryan this one's for ryan this one's Bob from ernesto God damn it. uh it's not uh it's actually as a movie guy i feel sh- you should invest in a simple projector and a screen watching 2001 and other films of that scope on anything but 100 inches is a crime against film <laughs> shame from ernesto <laughs>
3: hey i agree feel free
2: feel free to send ryan that projector and screen ernesto just go ahead and put that in the mail
0: look we live in la no no one has a has a apartment that is worth the shit I,
3: if you'll remember, I am so for watching it on the maximum biggest screen you can possibly do with the most uh, amount of people possible. But for a movie like 2001, which I've seen a million times, literally, okay, if if I uh, seeing it one time, just trying it out on a different medium like a little uh, tiny iPad or whatever, that's it was an experiment for Kubrick to see if it still (laughs) held up. It wasn't like that's the ideal scenario. I'd never recommend that. It was just like, I've seen it so many times. This will be interesting.
2: Double speed. And, and a Let's little, go. a little counter to Ernesto's point. The last time I watched 2001, a space odyssey was the Christopher Nolan, uh, not cut of it, but Christopher Nolan oversaw a, a color grading of the film that was released in a handful of theaters. Um, one of which was the ArcLight in Los Angeles a few years ago. And While it's always nice to see great movies on the big screen, and 2001 is designed for that experience, quite literally, seeing a colorblind person color correct somebody else's movie was a a uniquely upsetting experience. Wait, Christopher Nolan is colorblind? Yeah, he's red-green colorblind, oh, which wow. is why all of his movies are blue and gray and brown color palettes, and he's just <laughs> that makes a lot that, of sense
3: now. <laughs> yeah, he goes he
2: goes in the complete opposite direction of someone like Nicholas Winding Refn, who's also colorblind, but uh, Nicholas Winding Refn uses those really really sharp colors on screen because that helps him. Uh, actually, discern which which items are what color, and it, and it helps him. So that's affected his style in a complete opposite way than how it's affected Christopher Nolan's. But watching someone who is really only comfortable looking at uh, blues and grays and browns and blacks is it makes it a very very tough experience with 2001, which is a really rich, vibrant film. So I I, I agree with Ernesto that. Uh, Most movies deserve to be seen on the big screen or the biggest screen possible and uh, I I will half-shame Ryan for Watching it on an iPad, but it's not like he was watching actually.
0: It was, it Austin, who it an oh, it was Austin who watched it on iPad, and Ryan who watched it at 1.5 speed. I just remembered this. Wait,
2: hold on, hold on. Wait, well, <laughs> I missed that. I missed that. You watched it at 1.5.
3: Yeah, speed. Well, I got. I mean, I got shit to do. All when right, I have shit to do. <laughs>
2: End this now, Jared. I'm, I'm gonna yeah, out a way I know. To punch I know. It's
0: a whole guy. other thing. Uh oh, All right, sticking with 2001. This one's from Colin. He said, "Just listen to your 2001 podcast. Was wondering if any of you have." watched Watch the vastly inferior sequel 2010 or 2010. It pretty much removes all the ambiguity and flat out explains everything. It's an okay sci-fi movie by itself, but I kind of regret watching it as it colored my impression of 2001. Um, and regarding your discussion at the end of each of what each one of you brings to the table, maybe Ryan, Jared, and Austin are the id, ego, and superego of this podcast. Um, I actually have not seen 20 2010 for this exact reason. Have you guys seen it?
3: I started it, I stopped it, it uh, I didn't like it. But, um, yeah, I just didn't get through it. It was like a, uh, a blockbuster thing a long time ago. It has a cool cover. I remember that. Like, Have you seen it, Raymond? There's um, a space baby yeah, on it.
2: Yeah, I've, I've seen it. Um, it's not great. It, it, and certainly it pales in comparison to 2001. And what's really, really crazy is that... it. I'm I'm trying to think of when, when, when did 20, 2010... I think. Oh, wow. Was it that early? Yeah. It, 2010 was 1984. Oh,
0: okay. So
2: there's over 10 years in between 2001 and 2010. And it looks like the special effects have gone backwards by about 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's not bad as a standalone science fiction film, but as a sequel to 2001, thousand it, it, I mean, the legacy of the first film does not do it any, any favors. We'll just say that.
0: Yeah, I mean, which is why I haven't put in the time to watch it. And then how many of them have they made? Because they made another just one, two. right? I
3: thought it was just two.
0: Isn't there like, oh, well, I know that Arthur C. Clarke has written more books. I don't know if they had made more movies.
3: Not that no, I know I of. I,
2: I don't know. I don't. I, I haven't. I haven't seen any other uh, 2001 series. I feel like I. I don't know. I, I feel like that would have crossed my radar at some point. Yeah,
0: if, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong.
2: If they if they made another sequel to it.
0: All right, we're gonna close this out with an email from Eric. Eric said, "Loved all the show me the meanings on Verhoeven. Just wanted to ask you what you think an actual Verhoeven train would be like." And then his <laughs> his thing is Snowpiercer, except every car is a sex dungeon.
2: <laughs> 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 this is this is a weird thing that I never I never got to talk about, you know, Starship Troopers or showgirls in depth with you guys. But y'all made a lot of hay about the sexuality in his films where I think obviously there there is sexuality foregrounded in a lot of his movies, but he's always using it quite pointedly, like especially in Starship Troopers where they have the co-ed shower scenes and none of the characters are making a big deal about it. And I feel like that's the the point of all that is just to present this weird future where everyone has this weird anhedonia uh, or anhedonic approach to sexuality, and you know, especially if you watch Starship Troopers, the two characters don't get it on until their uh, commanding officer comes into the tent and literally orders them to, or he says like, "You've got fifteen extra minutes. Go ahead and uh, have sex with her, or whatever." And it's uh, like the point of that to me has always been how these these characters give themselves over to the gestalt they give themselves over to this experience the only pleasure they can derive is by serving the gestalt is by serving the country is by like that that to me is just once again inherently about fascism it's it's about how these these people live to serve and that's that's the only pleasure any of them can derive like so much so that you know You can stick them in the same shower and not have to worry about any of them getting horned up or assaulting each other or anything like that It's just it's this really weird vision of the future where everyone has surrendered their sexuality at the altar of fascism And I I think that is kind of the the streak that runs through a lot of his uh, American movies especially showgirls where obviously sexuality is commodified, but Nomi is still really in control of her sexuality and how she's presented and, and that movie is you know ultimately like she she burns her career down in several big scenes throughout the movie and she's constantly essentially being redeemed by other characters who respect her for that rather than hand her agency over to another character who wants to commercialize it or commodify it in, in their way or their their uh, specific lens but I don't know I I don't I don't necessarily know what a Verhoeven train would look like, but, <laughs> but I just don't. I, I don't think it would be the uh, the, the orgiastic fuck fest that the listeners seem <laughs> to imply. It would. Um, it, it would definitely have some uh, some some strange compartments, though. That's for certain.
0: The one thing I'll say about Starship Troopers is that although I don't think that the characters are so horned up, I think that as part of Verhoeven's stated intention of the movie in seducing the audience, I think one of the primary ways he does that is just by casting members of 90210 or whatever, uh, you know, sexed-up shows those car- those actors were part of at the time. And, you know, because we want to see the beautiful people get together.
2: But I've also seen, I also always saw that on as a continued comment on American culture. Because even though Starship Troopers, one, one of the listeners pointed this out, a couple weeks ago that Starship Troopers takes place in Buenos Aires, but it's all coded America. Like the, the implication is that this is now a colonized country or a colonized nation state. And every single character in it is from 90210 the same way that like, I think uh, Elizabeth Berkeley's perfectly cast in Showgirls um, because of her relationship with audiences at that time as uh, coming off of Saved by the Bell. And I think that adds a lot to her character. You know, she's this woman who is really, really hungry to prove herself and her worth on her own terms. And she's an artist in this very transgressive field. And Elizabeth Berkeley is this actor who's coming off of a sitcom that's much derided critically, and she's ready to make the leap. I want to prove that I can be taken seriously. Like the hunger that, that Elizabeth Berkeley has in her performance in Showgirls, it perfectly mirrors what Nomi is trying to accomplish career-wise, and I, I, I take your meaning that in Starship Troopers they are a lot of handsome gals and lovely ladies, or excuse me, handsome guys and lovely ladies. But at the end of the day, none of them are really objectified by the camera. They're, they're. I see what just, you're saying. Yeah, they're they're just they're handsome people, and that's totally incidental to the plot or the filmmaking the the filmmaking is essentially indifferent towards their looks
0: the camera is not going spring breakers on them
2: yeah sure (laughs) but even but i i could don't get me started on spring breakers that's a totally different conversation (laughs) there's there's a different intent behind what he's doing with that too
0: yeah all right we're gonna go and wrap it up for today uh ryan and raymond where can we find you guys on the internet
3: you can find me on uh, at Ryan Shorts on YouTube and all those other kind of platforms, and check out Ryan's game show if you're if you're bored.
0: When is the next
3: upload for Ryan's
0: Shorts? I've been waiting.
3: Man, I have so much footage, and uh, the, the answer to that is probably in two days. I'm going to be releasing my unauthorized A Schwab's commercial. I made a commercial for a business here in Memphis. They don't know about it, but I, I made a commercial for them. <laughs> They're not going to like it probably, but look, I'll be on the lookout for that.
2: <laughs> All
0: right.
3: <laughs> What, is it just a spec commercial or are you is it a parody or something it's a joke yes but oh okay. yes it's just what, it, did they did they fuck you over or something? no they no I love this place it's just <laughs> okay. it's they've been around they're the oldest uh, shop on Beale Street. But, uh, you know, they're like a family general store, and this is a very unfamily okay. commercial. Was, I guess But
2: you, said, you said they're not going to like it. Like, you just have some weird axe
3: to grind oh, with each other. No, they're <laughs> just not going to like the commercial. I can just already tell. But I like the commercial. I hope they like the commercial. But uh, uh, it's, it's a good commercial. Well, right. well uh, oh,
2: go ahead. Can, no, it's all good. You, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd. I'm at Crematoria, uh, C-R-E-A-M-A-T-O-R-I-A. Um, I don't know if you like reading about climate change news give me a follow there (laughs) I guess but other than that that's that's pretty much all I got
0: cool alright we will see you guys in two weeks and uh, Ryan bring us out
1: goodbye from Hollywood California be excellent to each other peace